It is once again another joy to be in the presence of God's people. I take this very seriously and because I know that it is not something to be played with. Um, when we come before God's people, as uh, my dear sister Chantel just prayed, it is important that we rightly divide the word of truth. Because I know that so many are led astray today because the enemy has is even in the body of Christ. The Antichrist is within the body deceiving so many. I just ask that God will, will speak through my lips today that I will not be the one speaking, that you will not see Terence, but that you will see God and that you will see the word of God come forth. Because my heart's desire is that we see God when we come together that we feed and delight in his word as we gather together. And that everything that we hear, uh, we can live it out and rest assured that God, who has given us his word, will remain faithful to his promises. Coming from the book of Ezra, um, we see that God is in the business of rebuilding his city um, so that his people may dwell back in the promised land that he promised his people. You know, in the time of Ezra, they began to build uh, the city and not the walls. And, you know, even with that, there was a lot of uh, conflict that came from that. And now here we are, we have Nehemiah that is getting ready to do God's work. And one thing that really strikes me is the whole beginning of, of this story, there is a lot of revelation to be received from that. But what I would love for us to see today is what God reacts to. As we begin to read and see uh, what the people are doing, we need to find out what God is reacting to. Because what God reacts to should inform us how we ought to behave. And so I'm going to read from Nehemiah chapter one. I'm going to read the whole thing because I believe it's, it's, it's very, very important that that foundation be laid as to what we are about to go into. Nehemiah chapter one. And it reads, it came to pass in the month of Shislev in the 20th year, as I was in session, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the uh, captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was. When I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I mean, all of us know of this story. But as I was reading this thing, you know, what the Lord was giving me as a revelation is when we look at one another, you know, especially in the day and age to which we live in. You know, sometimes people come asking you questions, not because they want to hear that you're doing well, 
Uh, you know, when people come with the spirit of jealousy and envy and, and hatred, what they want to hear is that everything is going wrong in your life. And at your face, they may appear to really show concern for your situation. But when they go behind you, they laugh at you. You know, they, 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 they're actually happy that some of these things are happening to you. But as we see uh, Nehemiah's reaction, I am, I am honestly amazed because right then and there, God communicates Nehemiah's intent and desire and motive for the reason of that question. Nehemiah desperately wants to know how the city of God is doing. And the minute he gets the answer, we see the response. He responds in weeping and crying. But then what results after that weeping and crying is a prayer that comes from within the deepest part of his heart. And then he begins to pray, asking God what we are going to read right now. But what I want us to take note of is this. The intent of Nehemiah's question, the reaction that communicates his intent, and what comes after that. First, weeping and mourning. It says in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifice of God are a broken spirit. Now, Nehemiah was broken because of what he heard about God's city. A broken and a contrite heart. When I Google what a contrite heart is, just to give good context, an expression of remorse or penitence, affected by guilt. God had said they will be on exile because of their sin. So you will even see that during the prayer, Nehemiah is expressing, you know, some of this guilt and this remorse and this, this, this broken spirit towards God for God's city. Because his heart's desire is that God's city be restored. And so we will read the prayer, right? And, and again, when I began, I said, let us pay attention to what God is moved by, right? God doesn't stop at your crying, amen? The next thing that Nehemiah did was praying. And so let's read what he prayed and asked his God and asked our God to do for his city. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Notice he makes the clear distinction that he, God keeps his covenants with those who love him and keep his commandments. The same message is echoed in Matthew verse 44, that uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is in the Old Testament, by the way, that consistency in scripture, when God is saying that those who love him are those who keep his commandments. And God will be faithful in keeping his covenant because of the people's commandment. And, and Nehemiah is acknowledging that. He's acknowledging that. And in a sense, he's also acknowledging that the, the reason that the, the people of Israel are where they are is because of disobedience. See how he goes to God with a, with a broken spirit, a contrite heart, with a sense of humility, acknowledging who he is and who God is. Acknowledging what the people of Israel have been and who God has been consistently. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. 
that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. And now we see Nehemiah do, follow the same pattern as Daniel. When Daniel took on the sins of his people and identified himself with the sins of the people, even though the Bible said he was a righteous man. But nevertheless, to intercede for the people, he had to put on the sins of the people. That's why we see that same consistency when the Bible talks about Jesus became sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God. So Nehemiah is a foreshadowing of who Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Constantly, many people in the Bible show that pattern where we don't come to God saying, I am good. Oh, thank you, Father, for I, I know I've not sinned, but my people are sinning. Can you, can, you, can you fix that, Lord? Because, you know, he comes and he humbles himself before, he humbles himself before a holy God and pleads for his people, acknowledging and the sins of his people, aligning himself with the sins of his people and taking the sins of his people upon himself before he stands to plead before God to say, God, restore our city. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, those some of you were cast out to the furthest parts of the heavens, yet I will gather them from, thee, from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling place for my people. And here we are again seeing Nehemiah reminding God of his covenant. Not that God has forgotten, but essentially saying, God, I myself standing before you, remember that you made this, com this covenant with your people and that you made a promise to restore your people. Father God, may this time be now. That's why he's standing before God because not only is he praying to God, but as we would learn going forward, he intends to do the will of God. And that's the next thing I want us to see, that it is not just enough to stand before God and pray, which is something that is extremely good, extremely necessary and foundational to our faith, standing and pleading before God. But we too must be ready to stand and say, God, I will be sent by you. Send me. And there is a song that I love when I used to be a kid. The Lord said, whom shall I send? The Lord said, whom shall I send? And it goes, goes. And then the, the end says, send me, Lord, send me, Lord, to send me, Lord, I will go. And I have to say that I saw that in Nehemiah, where he didn't just come pleading to God for uh, 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 the, the nation of Israel and the broken walls of Israel, but he came with a desire to be used by God to fulfill the very thing he was praying about. And saints, that should inform us about how we, we should present ourselves when we come to God. When we come say, Father, feed the poor. Be prepared to be used by God to fulfill those very prayers that you're asking God to do in the lives of those whom you intercede before God for. And Nehemiah really gives us a great template. Amen. Of, of how we should approach God. And I believe that when we do this, we, we not only, as the Bible says, 
faith without works is dead. We don't understand before God praying to him in faith, but we are also ready to be called by him to do the work he has called us to do. Amen. Now, these are your servants. And now notice, and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. And, and I love this because I, Nehemiah acknowledges that the work that is currently going on in the, in the life of the children of Israel is a work that is being done by God. And now Nehemiah says, now these are your servants. You know, implying the father, I am your servant. That which I'm praying for, use me to accomplish that purpose. These are your servants and your people. And I must say, it is easy to just pray, God, do, God, do, God, do. But it, it is not as easy to say, God, use me. Because oftentimes we think of the quote unquote baggage that we think we have and the responsibilities that we may have. And then those things can kind of dissuade us from presenting ourselves to be used by God. You know, but, but here is Nehemiah who didn't look at anything he was doing at the time to be an obstacle. He was so desperate to do God's will that he presented himself regardless of what he was doing at the time. And we'll find out what he was doing. Amen. Oh Lord, I pray. Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to, to the prayer of your servants who desires to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. We'll later find out, we will later find out who this man was, because we know that he wanted to go before the king to ask the king's permission so that the king will allow him to, to go and finally fulfill his heart's desire for Israel. And, you know, when we say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, Nehemiah gives us a good example of that, typically because his heart was broken. And I believe he felt God's heart. And what God saw his city go through, because remember, God had made a promise to restore his city, to bring his people back. And he, he echoes that in this prayer. But you see, he already knows God's heart concerning Israel. I believe that's the same attitude we have to have when we come to pray and ask God for something. We have to know God's heart concerning that matter. So we pray in accordance to God's will concerning that matter. And I believe God answered this prayer because Nehemiah was a man of prayer who, who knew God intimately. And so as a result of knowing God, he could only pray in God's desire and according to God's will. And I believe that as we read forward, that is what God shows us. When you pray according to his will, as the Bible clearly says, he hears us. Amen. And then the end of this passage says, for I was the king's cupbearer. Now into detail, Nehemiah's position uh, as he worked for the king, as the king's cupbearer. And I must say, you know, in a world where everyone wants a position of prestige, where they can be seen and acknowledged by men. You know, Nehemiah took a position, even though at the time was looked upon, if you're close to the king, you're close to, 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 to royalty. So that's a position of no, a little bit of prestige in at that time in that society, uh, because there, I, I'm sure there were other people who did other things for the king, but those jobs were not as prestigious as 
you serving the king. But we will notice as we read ahead, the character of Nehemiah as he performed his job. And I think God shows us that uh, as the king reacts to Nehemiah. All right, so all right, let's read uh, from chapter two. We are there now. Chapter two, verse one, we read. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence before. Now, let's look deep into this just a little bit. The Bible makes it a point to say he had never been sad before the king before. Does that mean that Nehemiah never had anything wrong in his life? Nothing was going wrong in his life. He lived a joyful life all the days of his life. But we can see that every time he came before the king, whatever troubles that Nehemiah ever had, it never showed at his work. He remained a joyful and cordial worker who did his work as he was supposed to and, and kept a happy countenance. The book implies, because the book makes a point to say he had never, never, been sad in his presence before. But guess what broke him? Guess what broke Nehemiah? The state of Israel. When we look at the word that says, when God said he had loved Israel with an everlasting love, you see the love of Israel in Nehemiah so much that when he hears about that, it breaks him so much that it goes even to his job. And I must say, I myself have not been perfect working. There are days when I get sad, I carry my emotions in my face and I go to work and people are like, man, what's going on with you? You know, what's, what's, what's happening here? But Nehemiah was a man of God who took his work seriously and kept his problems at home, went to work and performed his job perfectly no matter what happened. The only time when he chose to show his emotions was when something more bigger than himself was happening, which was the state of Israel, the broken walls. And guess what? That drew the king's attention. Some people are so used to uh, behaving certain ways that people no longer are, are, are uh, 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 alerted or uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't see a reason to ask why you are feeling this way because maybe that's your emotion every day at work, you know? But Nehemiah comes and for once, the king sees his emotion and asks him, what is the problem? I'm going to read from uh, uh, verse three in the same chapter. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you were not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So the king could identify that. So I became dreadful, dreadfully afraid and said to the king, and you must remember in those days, the king had the power to take your life. You know, so, but even though he was afraid, he did not stop from addressing what was in his heart concerning Israel. Now, reminded he's in a land of captivity. You know, that's your enemy. You're about to go and lay your concerns about the land he conquered. And isn't it amazing to see Nehemiah's courage, even though he was afraid? He, he didn't allow his fear to stop him from expressing what was in his heart. And said to the king, may the king live forever. As they often said when they wanted to please the king and deliver the message to the king in such a way that he would receive it and, and not get angry and 
most likely grant their request. We see the same Daniel saying that to the king, may the king live forever, you know, a way of reverence to your king. And said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Because of Nehemiah's work ethic and the person that he was, you know, we Christians are called to a different standard in how we do anything in life. If we are a farmer, we better be the best farmer we can be. If we are a doctor, we better be the best doctor we can be. If we are a janitor, we better be the best janitor we can be. Why? Because when people see our work ethic, they immediately ask, why? Man, you're a good worker. You're good, you're good dad. You're when people ask those questions, they question your morality. And since, may I say that that is the opportunity that God gives us to proclaim his name. That I am the way I am, not because of my set of morality. I am the way I am because of who God is and who he has made me to be. Saints, the way we act in our daily living is an evangelistic outreach, believe it or not. When we do what we do in our daily lives with integrity and love, the people around us notice that. Just like the king noticed Nehemiah. He was a man who came to work every day ready to do his business. Never carried his emotions in his face. But the one time he did, it caught the king's attention. And that was an opening that God created so that Nehemiah could lay down the concerns of Israel. And we'll read from verse 5 again what Nehemiah told the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, obviously he did find favor, I ask that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Okay, now, when we go back to chapter one, Nehemiah received the message because he asked the question with the correct motives. He wanted to know how the city of God was doing. Once he got the message, it broke his heart and he came before God and prayed. Once he prayed and asked God to create the opening, God created the opening. And he then asked the king, that he wanted to rebuild the city. So saints, I want to say again, I don't know how I can reiterate this some more, but when we come before God, asking for him to make change, let's be prepared to be used by God to make that change. Because this is what Nehemiah did. Now we see his entire motive. He wanted to be the one to rebuild the city that was broken. And that's why he came to God, asking the father, use me. Use me to rebuild this wall. I pray to you, Father, because he knew. As the scripture says, unless the Lord builds, the builder builds in vain. So he knew he could not go to that city all by himself, trying to rebuild the ruins without God being with him, without God doing the work through him. And so that prayer began opening doors. And I want to say, saints, if we could use this template, right? 
I know a lot of us here have great relationship with our bosses, great relationships with, with our, our, our co-workers. Can we use those relationships to create open doors for the gospel? Because the gospel, wherever you are, the gospel needs to be preached in the schools, in the, in the government systems. Sister Chantel has given us countless stories about how God opens many doors at her job. You know, the accident she had, how God opened the door there. You know, many, many instances where God has used her situation at the time to open doors so that he, she might glorify God in those situations. This is a very good story. It's not like Nehemiah actually went to the city and saw how the city was. All he did was hear that something went wrong and immediately his heart was broken. Oh, dear brothers and sisters, I am very encouraged by what I see Nehemiah do and by how he reacts. And isn't it amazing that God will often use biblical figures. I mean, the very intent of using biblical figures is so that we can see ourselves in there. We can see what God is moved by. And God was moved by, by, by uh, uh, Nehemiah's response to the, to the state of the city. And because God was moved by it, he was moved by that. He, he ended up doing the work through Nehemiah. Amen. Let's continue to read. And so when we go to verse seven, furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to, the, to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the kings, the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the, of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. You see, right at this point, we see that God has already prepared the hearts of the king to fulfill Nehemiah's request. You know, that's the power behind prayer. Because sometimes, like I said, that God will shut doors no man can open, and open doors no man can shut. And so, that the power of prayer is this. When God says he'll do something, every person that God needs to use to accomplish his purpose will do it because God will do something. God will cause their heart to be moved. God will do something and the doors will begin to open ahead of you. That's why as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is important that if we want to earnestly do the will of God in our lives. And we pray about it. And we ask God to lead and direct us to open the doors, to make the path straight because he's the one that's going to do the work. And a prayer to ask God to do that is an acknowledgement that in your strength, you cannot possibly do it. Nehemiah recognized that, that in his strength, he could not possibly do it. And so that's why when we read this, this, this uh, uh, chapter in the Bible, I'm very encouraged by it, and I hope you all are as well, because God is showing us how we should react, and we see that the king makes way for Jeremiah for everything that he needed to rebuild the city walls, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me, and here we are again. 
Like you see that God was doing the work and Nehemiah was acknowledging that every door that was being opened was being opened because God opened those doors. I love, I love the wisdom of Nehemiah because what he typically does is when he goes to the city, he doesn't go and say, I'm a man of God and I've come to do this. He goes and one of the things he does is he begins to survey the land to see the ruins of the walls. To essentially see for himself what God's city has become. And I believe, uh, dear brothers and sisters, that that informed him even more gave him the desire and the drive to go ahead and build that city, no matter what obstacles he could have met ahead of him, which we will find out that he did meet obstacles. But going to survey the land and see for himself what happened, I believe is a position of wisdom. Not to go and say the hand of God is upon me immediately. I'm here to do the work and blah, 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 blah. How we, you know, sometimes we like to say we are big men of God and we are doing all these things in the name of God. And so follow me because I'm doing these big things in the name of God. We see that attitude a lot. I've, I've seen that happen in many, in many, you know, Christian gatherings. I've been a part of one of those, you know, and I, you know, people want to exalt themselves above Jesus Christ so they can gain followers after themselves. But man, I didn't go with that spirit. He didn't go there with that attitude. He went for a mission and his mind was set on the mission. I am going to rebuild the walls of God's city. Amen. And so the Bible says in verse 15 of the same chapter, so I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. Again, this is what the Bible is saying about how Nehemiah approached um, the whole situation. And then later on, he met with the elders to talk to them about what God uh, has commanded him to do. And I told them when he met with the elders of the city, let me read from 16 on downward. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. So you can tell that he did that in secret. He didn't want to go ahead and, like I said, just put himself out there. I had not yet told the Jews, the priest, the nobles, the officials of the others who did, who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. Reproach. People looked at God's city and, and it was it's bad taste. Like, you know, is this this people's God? Look at their city. And if anything, it should, it should tell us that, you know, when people look at us, there is an expectation as the people who saw God's city and it was a reproach to them because like, okay, look at God's city. It possibly can't look like that. Is this the God you serve? You know, that is, that is, that is having a reproach towards God because of what the people are doing or because of what the condition of the city is. And it was in that condition because of the sins of the people. So, Nehemiah wanted to desperately not only restore the walls of the city, but restore God's name. Because, because of the condition of the city, it brought a reproach to the name of God. And I think the same can be said of us. Many people have a reproach for Christianity because Christianity has not lived up to the standard that God calls us to live. Many have preached one and done the other. 
So today, our modern reproach for Jesus Christ is because what many have seen Christian do, Christians do, where we speak one thing and we do another willfully, and they see us continuously do another. We, we have different standards, the standards that we preach and the standards that we practice. And so that brings a reproach to the name of the Lord. And so it was the ruined cities. It brought a reproach to the name of God because the people saw God's city and said, and this is their God, look at how their city is. And the city was in that condition because of what the people did. So it's, it's something that we should, you know, I think learn from and, and know that God has a standard and he will not change that standard for anybody. Amen. And I know we all know that and it's a blessing to know that. So may we continue to strive unto righteousness, asking God to give us the strength to live holy and righteous and pure so that people who see us will see the nature of God in his people and learn to love him rather than bring him reproach, which was what you know, which was what Israel was raised up to be, a people who will represent God so well, will live holy within the land, purify the land, and live in, in all the lands that God had promised to them and, 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 and live righteously with their God in the midst of their God so that the neighboring cities would see what it means to serve the one and only true God. And when we serve them, when they serve them, they would receive blessings and honor and, and their lands will prosper. And that because the neighboring cities would see that they will long after that God and be drawn to that God. But, you know, as, as we know, you know, that didn't work out quite well. But praise the Lord. He redeemed Israel. He's redeeming the whole world to himself through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a great blessing. And verse 18 says, and I told them of the hand of my God which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. And so this is, you know, essentially him telling his people, hey, God has called me to rebuild the wall. And here we have some responses that may not be so favorable. It's true that in life, not everyone will respond to God's calling in our life favorably, but that should not stop us as it didn't stop uh, Nehemiah. Not everyone is going to respond to God's calling in your life favorably. But as we learn, Nehemiah never stops from driving on, from pursuing the will of God in his life. Uh, verse 19 says that, uh, but when Sanballat, the Heronite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? You know, and, and so verse 20 says, Nehemiah's response was that, and so I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will, will arise and build. You shall have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Uh, and Nehemiah had this boldness that I, I, I really love. And he wasn't shy about God's calling. And the people who rose against him didn't stop him. If anything, it caused him to be more fervent about what God called him to do. I know too many times we talk about the obstacles we face in life. But as we see in the Maha, what is God moved by? One who will not be afraid or not be shaken by the opposition. Nehemiah was not shaken by the opposition because he knew that he, God was with him. 
And I just want to say, I, I believe there are times when we are shaken by our circumstances because we forget that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And Nehemiah is another very good example of that. He knew who, who was with him. He knew that if God was on side, no one could be against him. And that was what I believe prompted his response, in which, which is an example as to what we all need to do. I believe that when we stand with God at all times, no matter what the situation might be and no matter what the future might seem, we should always remember that God knows the end from the beginning. And if he knows the end from the beginning, your only responsibility is to remain faithful to his word and everything will be all right. And so now we see the work beginning in the city. The Bible names a lot of people that began to put their hands on the plow. Because at this point, the word had come out that the world, the wall needed to, re to be rebuilt. A lot of people came in and said, we are going to rebuild the work of God. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that when we hear a servant come with the word of God, and we know that that word aligns with the will, as we all know what scripture says, it is our duty to do a lot of what some of the people here did. They rose up to the occasion. They began to serve in whatever capacity they were called to serve. They did not question or doubt. And the Bible doesn't tell us that they questioned or doubt. They just began to serve. I just want to read a few names. And now I will stop at one position. Uh, Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and built the sheep gate. Elisha, uh, the men of Jericho, built. Zakoa, the sons of Emra, built. Hassanah built the fish gate. Neremoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Kosh, made repairs. Meshulam, the son of Bereshia, the son of Mez, uh, Meshezebel, made repairs. Zadok, the son of Bana, made repairs. Tokoites, Tokoites, made repairs. These are all people, and, and when you go through this chapter, a lot of names are being mentioned about those who rose up to the occasion and said, we will build the broken cities. Isn't that an image of the church? The Bible talks about we are the body of the Christ and every member, every joint supplies whole body so that the whole body can work as one and fulfill the will of God. Here we are, I see an image of joint supplying their own skills and talents so that that wall can be built and that the will of God may be done for Israel. Since I have to say, there is a lot to be seen here and how we are to respond. When we see a man of God or a woman of God, our decision, I want to be that too. I want to be big. I want to be that. Because that comes from a place of discontent. That comes from a place of envy. When we see a man or woman of God rise up and say, God is giving me this calling. He has told me to do this and do that. And when the Holy Spirit prompts in us that that is it, our desire should be, I am going to do my heart because I am one of those joints that supply. And let's be diligent in doing that. I know God knows my heart's desire that I want to serve him. And even though there are many obstacles in my life that come and try to discourage me from doing so, sometimes even myself, I do certain things that discourage I feel discouraged because of my own actions sometimes I'm, I feel like am I good enough am I enough like 
Why am I failing here, failing there, failing there, failing there? But you know what, brothers and sisters, we all have that, you know? We all have that spirit of doubt that sometimes causes us to think we're not good enough for what God is calling us to do. But I just want to encourage you, dear brothers and sisters, that all of us can be like one of these servants that we see here mentioned in the Bible who heard that there was something that needed to be done for the word of God and in love, because anything without love means nothing. So in love, the rose up and said, I'm going to rebuild the broken walls that God has called us to build. But you know, even in the midst of that, there are some people who think this is beneath me. This is, why am I going to go and put my hand to a rock and dirty myself? And the Bible says, but their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of the Lord. I looked up the word nobles. It's very synonymous with the, the, the prestigious and the high people in society who think they are so high, they cannot come down low to do something that is beneath them. There were still a group of people, even though they were amongst God's people, who said to themselves, this work is beneath me. I will not do it. Why does the Bible make it a point to do that? Sometimes it reveals to us whether or not we are really humble or we do what we do just to get the praises and the accolades of people. And oftentimes we find this in the people who think they are too big to be used by God. Or what maybe cleaning the toilet in the church or maybe uh, 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 sweeping the church is, 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 is too much for them. Like they can't do that. They don't see themselves going down that low. We still have that. And God is showing us that when you think you're big that, bigger than yourself, one of the things you will not do is stoop yourself down low and humble yourself enough to do a job that you consider to be not prestigious because you already have a status in life. You don't want people to look at you differently. Praise the Lord. And then we will end here uh, in chapter four, talking a little bit about the challenges that Nehemiah had to go through when finally we had, uh, uh, you know, Tobiah the Ammonite and 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 many other th those who who laughed at him in chapter three. Now decided, hey, we're going to come and you know break down this wall and 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 thought they could succeed in doing so. But I want to pull our attention to how the people of God. Were strategic about how they conquered their enemy. And so let's read. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burnt. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes on it, he will break down their stone of war. That is him trying to curse God's word. 
But even if a fox goes on it, he will break down their stone walls. Meaning the wall is not going to be built with strength that a mere fox can break it down. Cursing what God has blessed. I don't know who here has ever done that and, and succeeded. No, it's never happened before. No one can curse what God has blessed. And so that's another thing that should bring us courage. When we, when we come before God, we know that he's doing the work. We are not to be moved by any kinds of threat. However the opposition might look, we are not to be moved by it. We have to know that our God is greater and he's mightier. And if he has begun that work in you, he will see it to completion. Amen. And verse 7 of that same chapter says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashbodites heard that the wall of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Mm. Do we see the devil there? Mm. He creates confusion. He wants to destroy whatever God is building. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. I personally love the people's reaction when they know they are in a battlefield against their enemy. They pray to their God. They set up a watch day and night. They don't sleep. Because they know that if they were to close their eyes and lay down their guard, their enemy will overcome them. Brothers, I think once again, we can learn something from, from Nehemiah. How he protected the walls that God commanded him to build. Verse 14 of the same chapter. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome and and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, and uh, your wives and your houses. So he was telling them to rise up and fight. Rise up and fight. You know, we, you know, it's amazing because we are in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, there are prayer warriors. Some are evangelists. Some are apostles. I mean... We are all gifted with various things. When called, will you rise up in your gifting and serve God? See, you see Jeremiah telling some people that, hey, rise up. Don't be afraid of those people. Your God is greater. Rise up and pray and stand and protect your family. Actively do so. Don't passively do that. I believe a lot of the... Uh, uh, grounds we see the enemy gain in 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 today's societies because we've been passive for so long and so they've looked at us as though we were weak you know as though you know we 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 we, we turned the other cheek which is in my in my opinion a misinterpretation of 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 what it means to turn your the, the other side of the cheek it doesn't mean that when we see evil we just say oh okay we'll just go and pray there is there is something we still have to do 
We have to pray that God will open doors and give us influence over the institutions that make our nation so that we can now begin to enact God's laws lovingly. So that instead of, you know, the people who represent the kingdom of darkness take power and misrepresent our nation, Christians will now be representatives of our nation. And they will pass laws and, and do things that represent our God. And in so doing, please our God. Do you think God was pleased to know that these people had confidence in who their God was and decided to rise up in the occasion, trusting that God was with them? Yes, that's exactly what I saw. They stood up and rose up and said, I will stand for my God. I will protect my family, which is what we should be doing. When we go to schools and they tell us that we cannot, like in Maryland, we have been told we cannot uh, 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 pull our children out of classes if they have an LGBTQ uh, curriculum, we are not allowed to pull them. When they tell us that, we say, oh, no. <laughs> uh, I serve a living God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and is everywhere at every time. You're not going to tell me what I teach my children because God has commanded me, my me, the parent, to teach my children in the way they should go. And you government are not going to be the, the, the arbiter of morality in my household. God has given you, parents, that duty. So what you see, the enemy will come and attack in various ways. Tell you you cannot do something when you very well know you can. By the power of our Lord, by the God who lives in and through us, you surely can. You are able to do it exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could ever imagine, ask, or even think. The God whom you serve has given you the power to trample over scorpions and serpents. That's the God we serve. So we will never let anyone tell us what to say and how to say it. But we will say it because it is in the word of God and is the will of God. Amen. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that and that God had brought their plot to nothing. And all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. <laughs> so God had already won the battle. But when your enemy hears that, they tremble in their pants. They tremble in their feet. And you know, brothers and sisters, this comes by faith, knowing that your God is able. And notice that their enemies heard that God had brought their plots to nothing. And that would be your story. God will bring the plot of your enemy to nothing because you believe in him, because you trust him, because you know him, because you know him, because you know him. Now, all along, we have been talking about the physical wall. You know, later on, we see Jeremiah how they did that, they went and you know, they had soldiers by day who, who, who you know, had their spear in the wall, trying to defend the wall. Uh, um, then we had some that continued building as, as, as all this, you know, uh, uh, troubles were trying to come their way and stop them from building the city walls, uh, from doing the work of God in their lives. They did everything. You know, it, it's important that while some were carrying the spear, 
Let's call them the prayer warriors. Others were doing the work. Amen. I think it's synonymous with what we did as a church when the servants of God went to Kenya and to Liberia and were preaching the gospel and we stayed behind praying for them. We were the warriors that were keeping watch on the wall to make sure that nothing penetrated the wall to affect the children of God. Amen. But it's amazing because we must first do that in our personal life. And I'm reminded what uh, we've been talking a lot about the physical wall. Now I want to bring this reality to the spiritual realm. Amen. I want to bring this reality to the spiritual realm because we know that in the book of Job, Satan came telling Job, as we read before, that have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has and every on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. So here we are in the spiritual realm again. We are talking about how Satan acknowledges that the children of God have a wall built around them. Nehemiah is com communicating a, a, a spiritual reality in the physical world. The world symbolizes your protection from the enemy because all of us will be attacked by the enemy at some point in our lives. I can tell you that in, in my life, I've received many attacks from the enemy. And sometimes God has used that to show me that, yo, your walls are broken down. What have you, what have you done in your life that has caused your walls? To, what sins do you commit? Or what, what have you given? What doors have you, or what doors of sin have you opened to your life where to this point, your walls have broken down and, you know, maybe the fire of God is no longer there. And, or what have you done? Sometimes God uses that to, to kind of, get you on your feet and alert you that your spiritual walls are down. Rebuild them. And it's amazing because we are seeing here that the spirit realm is as real as, if not more real than the physical realm. And God, I, I had this conversation with uh, Pastor Sylvia and when she had a moment with the Lord and we began to share what she had received from this Bible. And one of the things that she kept telling me is that God was not only pointing to the physical wall, he was also pointing to the spiritual wall. The walls that are meant to protect us from the attack of the enemy so that as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish the things that God has called us to accomplish in our lifetime. Believe it or not, brothers and sisters, we all have a mission. I know at, at a certain point in your life, some of you who became Christians or who, who were not Christians and became Christians, I'm sure at a certain point in your life, you ask yourself, what am I doing here? What is the point of life? You know, what, what am I doing here? Where did I come from? Who am I? You know, there are many people who don't have a sense of identity, but immediately Nehemiah saw who he was in the Lord. He had a desire to rebuild the walls of Israel so that the people of God might be under God's protection again. You know? And so I just want to say, dear brothers and sisters, as we look at what we have learned from the scripture, what we have heard tonight, I pray that it has been a blessing to you, that we take this time to examine who we are in the Lord and where we are in our walk with Christ and, and, and be encouraged with what God shows you. And, and, and feel blessed by it because God is literally molding and shaping you to be the person that he wants you to be. So that at the end, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
And that is what I want all of us to hear when we stand before our God. He will be saying to you and I, well done, good and faithful servant. And so I just, I just believe that uh, Nehemiah is a very, very good example of what we Christians, how we should respond and what God is moved by. If you want to know what God is moved by, we can see that in, in, in Nehemiah and how he reacted to God's desire. I pray that when we hear certain things happen, when we, when we encounter certain people, that our hearts will be moved by compassion, that as we pray, we'll ask God to use us as vessels to bless those whom we pray for. Amen? Amen. And at this point, uh, yeah, that concludes uh, what I have for today. And I just wanted to ask if anybody had an addition or... What a great Bible study. It was just so simplistic, but powerful. I love the book of Nehemiah. I The Lord kept showing me, I'd ask him, what would you like me to read? And he would show me over and over, Nehemiah, Nehemiah. And that, that um, phrase when Nehemiah said, and the king asked me why I was sad because I had never been sad. That is how every job that I've had in my whole life, that is how I've been in every job. I would cry in the bathroom, but never cry in front of the people. I know that's hard to believe because I cry a lot on here, but I just love Jesus. I can't help it. Amen. Um, but in all glory to God, because I look back on my life and there's no way all the different jobs that I had and they were hard jobs. And, but I never felt that I was bigger than the job. I cleaned the toilet and it wasn't my job, but I felt like this needs to be clean. This looks awful. You know, uh, mopping the floor was never beneath me. Um, making a, uh, I, I want homeless people to, to hear their name out loud. When I speak to them, it's the first thing I ask. And I don't know what I'm supposed to share, not to share, but really all glory to God. But Oh, when I speak to a, a a man or woman that's down and out. I ask them their name because I want them to know that I saw them and that Jesus, Jesus sees them and their name. So this is so encouraging to me because this is how I felt even when I was a little, little girl and all mm. because of Jesus. But now it's a more intimate relationship. And one thing that this is such the word of God. I love sports and um, I played basketball growing up and that taught me so much. And I love football. I don't watch it a lot, but I love football stories. And, and my husband and I were watching Oregon versus Colorado. And the coach in the locker room said, there's a standard that we have to uphold. It's not about the clicks and the the glitz and the Hollywood, it's the standard. And I was like loving what he said. And I think that's why I love sports at times because of that. There's this discipline, you know, I love army, anything military. I just love all that stuff. But I love what he said, the standard. And you said that tonight. And I was thinking when I watched that coach, I was like, yes, there is a standard and we can't do it. He does it in us. And I'm yes. 
grateful that he does it because if we did it, we'd be messing up left and right. And he does. <laughs> and I love what you said, how we have to fight back. I've had many attacks and I fight back with the word of God. Praise and, the Lord. Yes. And it is the word of God. And I, I declare Psalm 91 out loud. And Amen. I think, you know, the Lord is, I need to memorize that Psalm. Uh, I think all of us, that's a very important Psalm, but I'm just so encouraged by this. And one thing I wanted to point out in the book of Nehemiah is if you look at Nehemiah two and verse four, Nehemiah two, verse four, then the king Nehemiah. said to me, what do you request? And if you look at the next line, do you hear what Nehemiah said? He said, before he even spoke to the king, he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And then I spoke. This is what I do all the time. I will pause and say, okay, Lord Jesus, speak through me, help me. I love that verse. So that is really a key verse. Before he even opened his mouth, he said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Yes. So yes. Just wanted to highlight that. But anyway, thank you, Terrence. It was a beautiful yeah. teaching. I learned so much. Praise the Lord. Let me give God the glory. Amen. Sorry, I get excited. I get excited <laughs> when God is exalted. I get so exciting. And thank you so much, my dear sister. Um, God does the work. God does the work. What we have to do is exercise our privilege and say, Lord, I will put my will aside and I will allow you to do your will in me. Because God will never do anything through you by force. We must be willing, like Jesus said, you know, it's nevertheless my will, but let your will be done. Because we know Jesus had his will. And we've heard that statement said many times, meaning there's an aspect of you that has to be put aside so God can do what he needs to do through you. So that's a great thing. God does the work. Praise the Lord. Uh, thank you so much, my dear sister. God does the work. God does the work. Any more uh, remarks or blessings that you may have heard from here? And, you know, as you think about it, remember what the word says in uh, Psalm, Psalm chapter 11, verse 3. It says, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Here goes Nehemiah being the, the, the epitome of what he heard. Because, you know, building... Walls have foundations, right? When, when they break down, they, 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 they fall. If those walls be broken, uh, or if they are being broken, uh, uh, what will the righteous do? Nehemiah is an amazing example of that. I, I too love the book of Nehemiah, uh, Chantel. I think there's so much to learn in there, and it's so powerful. At um, You know, when you think about, they took, I was reading it the other day, and um it stood out to me for the first time about the rubble. You know, they had to go through the rubble to even rebuild, you know, and it was just, you know, I think about, you know, um, things that I've seen here. Like when I got here to Arkansas, I was here just a few months when they had a tornado go through and I saw how devast how it was devastated in the rubble and how people had to, you had to sift through that stuff to even get to, to where you could even start to clean up again. But um, I, I like that part that Chantel brought out, too, about um, being the cupbearer and being so close to the king. He saw his consonants and how it had changed, so he knew there was something wrong.
but he still, you know, he still prayed to God first before he even spoke to the king. And he talked to the real king first, you know. Connie, would you close us out in prayer tonight if everyone's hearts and minds are clear? And we will go ahead and close out tonight. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the word that we received tonight. We thank you for the teacher who brought forth the word, Lord God. We thank you for all who attended tonight, Lord God, that we received a lesson from Nehemiah, that we need to rebuild those things, whether in the physical or in the spiritual, things that have been broken. Our world is broken. And Father God, we thank you for what you give, instill in our hearts to weep for those. And we weep because we care and we have compassion, we have understanding, and we want to see people in places we built to give you all the glory and the honor, Lord God. We thank you for this lesson that we've learned from Nehemiah. Let it be instilled in our hearts as we read throughout our, our word this rest of this week, because there's so much more that you're telling us, and there's so much more that we need to hear, and there's so much more that we need to do. I thank you, Father God, for this wonderful night, this wonderful lesson, and this wonderful day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.